just continue what we talked about last two weeks ago, I guess it was, um, in relation to why am I so angry? And um, basically the question that we posed here was, which way to go? Which way do I go? And uh, the illustration that I gave a couple of weeks ago was about a bird that gets caught in the rafters of your garage or wherever it may be, and how that as much as you want them to come down to go out the door, they always seem to want to go up. And so they get stuck there. And even though you want it very bad, you, you try to coax them, you get your broom, you try to shoo them, <laughs> you know, it's very difficult to get them moving out the right door. And that's the way it is for people, uh, for us. You know, our pride uh, many times keeps us going up instead of coming down. And we looked at that last week, how that the way out is the way, the way out is the way down. That's where we need to go. And that's the way that we're going to find our, our freedom is through humility. And so James chapter 4, in verse number 10, it, it tells us this. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And he shall lift you up. So in other words, you're not supposed to be the one to lift yourself up. God will lift you up. Our responsibility is to bring ourselves down, to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. And so this particular um, series, I'm, I'm really looking at dealing with the aspect of anger. Now, we many times will say, I don't have an anger problem. But you know, many times we do, and we just don't realize it, because behind every bitterness, behind anything like that, envy, jealousy, is also anger. Uh, most of the time when I deal with basically any issue that a person goes through, I usually have to work through the anger before I can get to the core problem. And the anger is that part that just simply just uh, um, expresses an emotion about what we're going through, what we're going through underneath. And there's so much that we go through, and there can be many different things, many different avenues of life, but yet anger seems to be a common thing that threads itself through our problems. Now, I was looking at a couple of points last week. Uh, I think I left off on the point, the way up is down, and I was contrasting um, God's way versus man's way. And I think that's where I left off, how that we naturally want to be exalted and we earnestly desire the respect and consideration of others, yet we are taught by the Lord that before honor is humility and before being exalted, one must be abased. And so God's way is not man's way, you know. And we know the world, you don't have to look at the news very long, you can see that that's so true. It's all about exalting self and pushing ourselves up when the Lord is requiring us to come down and humble ourselves. And I really think that's just the way out of everything, <laughs> you know. Any problem you have, any sin you're dealing with, whether it be anger, whether it be a, 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 an addiction of some kind, the only way to get free of it is to come down and humble yourself. That's where you find grace. That's where you find the power of God to bring you through that particular problem. Now, I'm not sure if I touched on my wisdom or God's wisdom, but I just want to just maybe reiterate this a little bit. Wisdom is the ability to apply truth in everyday living. 
And so what we want is God's wisdom. God's wisdom is going to help us apply the truth of God's word in our daily life. You know, just calling ourselves Christians isn't enough. We have to learn to be what a Christian is supposed to be. And a Christian is someone that walks after Christ. And if you're walking after Christ, that means you're doing what the Bible says to do. I know that's a very taboo thing today. People think the Bible is outdated and it's not relevant and so forth. <laughs> but the more I preach the word of God, the more I'm beginning, I'm beginning, I mean, continuing to understand that the Bible is so relevant to every part of my life. I mean, you look at even this morning, uh, the topics that I touched, how that would save us so much trouble in life if we would just follow what the scripture says, you know? So we hear it, we see it, but putting it into practical action sometimes is very difficult for us. We know what to do, but because we haven't let it sink down into our hearts. Now, that's why the Bible says about salvation, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Because salvation in your head doesn't help you. Salvation has to come into your heart. Your heart is that place of trust. When you trust something, that's with your heart. And so it says you gotta believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, which means you have to believe that and, and put your trust in the fact that God did do that for you. And it's at such a place where you have no problem confessing it. See, if you would have a problem confessing it, then I seriously doubt that it came from your heart. See, because everything that's in your heart comes out of your mouth. <laughs> Amen. Now, what comes out of your mind is what happens when somebody asks you a question. When I'll, when I'll ask you something like, what do you think I need to do to be saved? Your mind will answer, oh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But your heart answers in practical life. You see, that's where when people are looking for, for help and looking for direction, out of your heart will come an answer. And you'll tell somebody, hey, you know, you need to turn to Christ. You need to trust what he's done for you. That's a heart answer. It's not a head answer. Amen. The Bible says that you can be double-minded. You can be double-minded. You can have one mind here and one mind here. So in one mind, I'm saying, I know what I need to do to be saved. Believe. But in another mind, well, I don't know if I really want to confess that. Because maybe there's more to it, you know? And I haven't really trusted. So heart is very important. And the reason why we're not practically applying Bible knowledge is because we have it here, but it's not in here. See, we've got to get to the point in our life where we look at Scripture and say, you know what, Lord, I trust this. I trust what you're saying here. This is the only way. If I believe that with all of my heart, I will confess it. I'll tell people about it. And then I'll actually practically put that into, into practical steps as I live my life. Amen. And I think a lot of Christians today are not doing that. <laughs> we're still living by the world's wisdom, yet in our mind, we're telling you what the Bible says. <laughs> the Bible says this, but in your life, you can't see it. And so the whole thing is to get rid of the double-mindedness. 
Because the Bible says if you're double-minded, you're unstable in all of your ways. <laughs> if you have instability in your life, it's because you're working off of two beliefs. You know what the truth is here, but you haven't trusted it here. That's why many people struggle with their salvation. Not all of them. Some struggle salvation because they truly are just confused because the devil has put something in their mind that has confused them. But many times it is, they know what to do here, but they've never trusted here what Jesus Christ did for them. And so they're confused. They say, well, I believe, but in all reality, you don't believe. <laughs> and so you've got instability in your salvation, you see. So stability in your life comes from these two beliefs lining up, taking the practical truth, your knowledge, storing it in your mind, but then also with your heart, grabbing onto that and making it practical. Amen? Amen. Then I know it's, then I have a same belief running in my mind and in my heart. <laughs> I always say it's kind of like a computer. This is your hard drive. This is where you store everything, but this is the processor. This is where the information has to flow through in order for it to actually compute, in order for it to actually make a difference. Otherwise, all it is is just data in a hard drive. Amen. Yeah. And so trusting is putting it into the processor. And your heart is the processor. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Amen. Yeah. Not what you think in your mind, but what you think in your heart. That's what you are. What you believe in your heart. That's what you are. And so somebody will tell you, They'll come to you and say, so how do you feel about yourself? Oh, I'm great. I'm a child of God. God's been so good to me. But then in your practical life, you're getting triggered left and right about what a piece of garbage you are, how worthless you are, because you've got two beliefs. <laughs> and then you've got this instability in your life, double-mindedness. Amen. So God's wisdom, we have to make a choice here. You know, I, I've talked to people about the way they treat people. And you know what? In the world sense, it makes sense. The world would say, good job. But when you take it into the church context, it's a complete no-no. <laughs> you don't treat people that way. See, in the world, they say, hey, it's okay for you for other people to lose so that you can gain. But not in the church sense. In the church, it says it would rather that you be defrauded. You'd be better off losing the battle if it meant putting that person backwards, make them go backwards. That's why it says that we ought not put a stumbling block before anybody. And that's why it says if there's something you're doing that is stumbling somebody, even if it's not wrong, you should stop doing it. Because you care more about them and you're willing to sacrifice for yourself for them so that they can go forward while they're working through their weak conscience or wounded conscience, you see. It's so important to see these principles. It'll help us to be good Christians. It really will. And so we have to choose God's wisdom. Wisdom gives us spiritual perception that enables us to understand the ways of God and the dangerous subtleties of human nature. See, that's why you cannot understand people. You cannot understand God. 
unless you're willing to apply the wisdom of God to your life. <laughs> the Bible says if you give yourself the truth, you will know God's will. He's going to show you his will, but you'll never know it if you close this book. It doesn't just hit you from some, <laughs> you know, magic direction. <laughs> the will of God gets revealed through the truth, through the word of God. Uh, wisdom preserves us from deception and it preserves us from destruction. And we need to understand this. Folks, when I'm preaching, and I know I'm a broken record, <laughs> you know, I'm up here saying, preacher, you on that again? <laughs> I'm on that because I'm concerned. I'm on that because I'm, I don't want people to be hurt. I want them to be helped. I want to keep them to steer away from the dangerous things, amen? And so I say things, and I, and I preach things, and you say, preachers, stop talking about that. Well, you know, I have to, because I, I cannot let it go. Yeah, yeah. I need to try to help people that I feel that are in danger in the church. Yes, and the devil wants me to stop it. <laughs> to shut your mouth, preacher. <laughs> I can't do that, because wisdom will preserve you from deception. It'll preserve you from destruction. In Proverbs 13, verse 14, it says this, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. That means there's all kinds of snares being laid out for you but as long as you allow your life to be lived by the law of the wise, you'll always have life. But whenever you depart from following principle, you're going to trigger one of those snares. And it's going to destroy your life. And so we've got to be very, uh, per, uh, very uh, understanding of that. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 10, it says, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, Discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things. You know, I'm concerned sometimes because, folks, I can't be deceived that easily. A person just can't come up to me and start twisting my thinking about people. <laughs> Amen. Because I try to filter whatever someone says through the word of God. So what I do is I'd ask myself, why are you telling me this? And then I'll ask myself, is it right for you to tell me this? And then if it's not right for you to tell me this, why are you doing wrong? Yeah. Because the scriptures tell me that. It, it, it guides me through the process. And then I find out what I'm supposed to do with this. You know, Am I supposed to receive this? Am I supposed to take it and run with it? <laughs> Am I supposed to reject it? All of these steps in a Christian life is, is given to us by the scriptures. The wisdom of God will direct you and preserve you and give you discretion. Discretion. It also says the Bible gives you prudence. The prudent man foreseeth evil and he hideth himself. We see the evil coming. We don't act like a bold uh, smart aleck and go face on. Let's see what's going on here. We hide ourselves, we protect ourselves from the evil. That's an important characteristic to develop in your life for you and for your family, but that's a product of wisdom, amen? 
We have to seek for that. And we say, Lord, I need you to teach me that type of prudence and discretion so that I can preserve myself and I can preserve my family. Amen? Because sometimes we are putting ourselves into situations that if we would have used God's wisdom, we wouldn't have gone there. Amen? God's wisdom will preserve you. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to judge yourself. <laughs> and that's why the Bible says, you'll judge yourself lest ye be judged. So when you judge yourself, then you take away out of the hands of others judgment against you. <laughs> Amen? Not only that, when you judge yourself, you take out of the hands of God the ability to judge you at the judgment seat of Christ. He'll reward you, <laughs> you know? You don't have to worry about being exposed. You don't have to worry about your, your works being uh, useless before God or unprofitable. Because you've operated in wisdom. And because of that, the Lord will reward you. So you judge yourself so that you won't be judged. Amen? That's so important. It's a great principle for us. So the biggest object of judgment in your life should be yourself. And that's the dispensation we're in today. We just left a prior dispensation of judgment for sin. It ended with the Lamb of God being placed upon the cross of Calvary. That was the judgment of sin. It was revealed to us all the way from the book of Genesis. It was revealed through every sacrifice, every death of an animal, all the blood that's been shed over the thousands of years and ended with the Son of God being placed on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. And if we put our faith and trust in that sacrifice, our sin has now been judged. Never to be judged again. <laughs> That's a finished transaction. So what he does, he starts a new dispensation. And this dispensation is the judgment of self. Because you've been given the Holy Spirit of God and it's living, he's living in your heart. He's given you the ability to look into your own heart through the scriptures with a mirror of the word of God and you can deal with yourself. In a way that even the past saints could not. <laughs> because we have a constant indwelling of God's spirit in our heart. And so what that does, if, if my sin has been dealt with, and now I'm dealing with my own soul, <laughs> it prepares me for the next dispensation. Yeah. And that is the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> judgment of self isn't happening because I'm concerned I'm going to hell. Judgment of self is happening because I'm concerned that I will not do what God has put me on this earth to do. And I'm not becoming profitable for the Lord. So I judge myself so that my life will become profitable. So I know that I'm in the will of God. So I can make adjustments, I can change things to place myself right within the will of God. Amen? And if I do that effectively, when I meet Christ at the judgment seat, all the works that have been preordained for my life, and that, Ephesians chapter 2, let's turn there. <laughs> I'm giving my voice a break too. <laughs> 
Notice what it says here. I need a drink of water here as well. In verse number eight of chapter two, it says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is as easy as receiving a gift. Not a Santa Claus gift. A, Santa's, a Santa Claus gift is, have you been naughty? Have you been nice? Yeah. <laughs> a, a God gift is, you're naughty. Admit it. Here's your gift. <laughs> Amen. That, that's what it is to be saved. There is no nice list, list with God. <laughs> There's just a naughty list. So Santa is false doctrine. Amen. A gift is free will. It, I'm giving this because I love you. And all I have to do is receive it. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Yes. Then it goes on to say in verse number 9. It says not of works, lest any man should boast. So if there's anything I could do, including getting baptized, including coming before the church, whatever, if I could do one thing, then I could boast on that one thing. But the Lord has made salvation work in a way where there's not one thing you can boast about, except about him. And that's what Paul said. He says, I glory not but only in the, in the cross of Christ by which the world has been crucified unto me. I glory in the cross. Amen? That's yeah. it. Then it goes on to say here, listen to this in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. This, this word for workmanship, it really is a word that is the same word you would use for writing a poem or writing a story. He says, you are my poem. You are my story that I'm writing, okay? You're my workmanship. You're something that I'm creating to start at something and to end somewhere else. And it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. See, that's the new creature. You see, when you were lost, your creation was in Adam. Thousands of years ago in the garden, you fell with him, you were condemned with him, and you were dead in Adam. <laughs> but when you got born again, you became alive in Christ. Yeah. The Bible says all in Adam will die, but all in Christ shall be made alive. So that is the only creation that exists after the sixth day. The only thing that's been created after that first six days of creation has been a born-again Christian. <laughs> See, that's important because everything in the first six days is condemned. It's all cursed. Everything within that six days has to be destroyed, including man. That's why he says, I need to make a new creation outside of the six days where there is no curse, where there's only blessing. So when you receive Christ as your Savior, you became a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? So you're a new creature, and you're created in Christ Jesus. That's where you began, is in Christ. And that happened in his death. 
when you died with him, were buried with him, and rose with him. Amen? It goes on to say here, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now that's a preposition. What it's saying is, what does the word unto mean? Does it mean from or towards? Towards. I'm created in Christ Jesus towards good works. Not from good works, but unto good works. Then I like what it says next. It says, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So this is it. (laughs) You were saved, created in Christ, so that you could do good works. Good is beneficial. It means it's profitable. There's fruit involved with this. But it's works that have been foreordained. That is, it's not something that you came up with. (laughs) It's not something that, this is what I like to do, so I'm going to do it. (laughs) No, that's not foreordained. That's just you thinking you're doing something good, but in all reality, it may not be so good. You may be wasting your time. Foreordained means before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for your life. And he wants you to find that plan and he wants you to finish that plan. That's what it means. And those good works are not just, I'm going to help somebody across the street. You can't do that. That's a good thing to do. But we're talking about works that are going to make an impact for eternity. Your part in God's plan of the Great Commission. That's what it's about. And your part in that has already been preordained. It's not something you've got to figure out. It's just something as you surrender and allow the Lord to change your mind, the will of God will be revealed. That's why the Bible says, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Because he doesn't need any more dead sacrifices. (laughs) The last dead sacrifice was taken 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. So he's saying, I don't need you to die. I need you to live. I want you to take your body and place it as a living sacrifice on the altar so that you can do the works that I preordained for you to do. And so it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's just reasonable. Amen. It's not special. Oh, look at me. I'm a preacher. I must be real special. (laughs) It's reasonable for me to give my life to preach the word of God every day of my life. It's reasonable after what's been done for me. It's reasonable to give my life to the Lord so that every week I'm outdoing what God wants me to do. I'm faithful to the house of God. I'm faithful to the work of God. I'm faithful to the word of God. I'm faithful to the people of God. All these things are in place because it's only reasonable. Not special. What was special was what happened 2,000 years ago. I'm just doing what's reasonable in light 
of what he did for me 2,000 years ago. Amen? And so the next verse after that, it says, and be not conformed to this world. And this is where the fundamental preachers start preaching. (laughs) Because the reason why we're having Christians not doing the will of God today is because they love the world too much. And they're, they're fashioning their life after, after worldly principle and worldly wisdom. And because of that, they've become useless. <laughs> so, and be not conformed or fit into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing your mind. <laughs> that you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when does the will of God get exposed to you? After you're motivated by the mercies of God. After you've presented your body a living sacrifice. After you've given yourself to transformation by the renewing of your mind. After separation from the world. Then comes proving the will of God. So you're wondering why preachers are writing these topics. <laughs> you know, why, why are we preaching against the world? Why are we preaching against the wickedness of this world? Why are we saying that Christians ought not do this and ought not do that? Because that is a step in you finding the will of God. Unless you break that mold, you will never find the will of God for your life. Specifically. And that brings me to another thought. Here I am. Thoughts coming. (laughs) There's general and there's specific will. The general will is what I just told you. Present your bodies. The general will is simply you renewing your mind. (laughs) The general will is simply in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The general will is that Christians ought to abstain from fornication, for this is the will of God for you. That's a general will. If we can't even get past the general will, how are we ever going to discover the specific will? Amen? Amen? And so, in my life, I went through a process of pruning and breaking (laughs) where the Lord revealed to me specific will. But just because I've had the specific will revealed one time does not mean that I'm going to stay in the specific will. Because if I don't continue to maintain the general will of God for my life, I will lose the specific will of God for my life. So I have to continue living my life generally according to scriptures so that I can continue doing the very specific thing that God has called me to do. Amen? So it's never where I'm just sitting and waiting for God to slap me in the head with what I'm supposed to do. It's about reading. It's about praying. It's about seeking the Lord and seeking principles to guide me through the general things of life so that God can reveal to me specific things about what he wants me to do. But if I'm not going to purge my own life, I'm not going to keep myself from worldly things. 
things that I not, ought not be part of. And sometimes there's good things you can do, but those good things turn to bad things because they're keeping you away from the things that you need to find God's specific will for your life. Like I say, there's nothing wrong with going to school, you know, university, college, to get a degree. But if that is stealing away from God, it is sin. For him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The next person can do it. And they continue growing in the will of God. And the next person can't. (laughs) Yet they're at the same school, taking the same class. You understand? And so you have to judge that. That's your judgment. (laughs) You have to make that call in your own heart by you seeking the Lord. And that's why we're in this dispensation of (laughs) self-judgment. That if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. Amen? So you can prepare yourself for the judgment seat of Christ. Not a judgment of sin. (laughs) A judgment of works. A judgment at the end of a race to receive your crown. As to whether you've ran the race lawfully. You didn't take shortcuts. You didn't cheat. You didn't take dope <laughs> to get yourself to at the end of the... Some people do that. Yeah. You have some famous guys that won all kinds of um, uh, awards. And they found out later it was all done through dope. So they stripped them. And the Bible says to you... Take heed, this is that no man take your reward. It also says that we got to make sure that we have a full reward when we see Christ. That means do everything that God's asked you to do. That also means do it lawfully so you don't lose what you can have. Amen? So I don't care about rewards. No, you're just being lazy. You just don't want to do the work. <laughs> you do want rewards. That's, why you, that's what motivates you in this life. If the boss says, I'll give you a $1,000 bonus if you work an extra day, would you do it? <laughs> oh, no. I need time at home to rest. I'll guarantee you, you'll put the time in for that $1,000. The Lord is rewarding you. He's giving you a prize. And he's trying to keep you motivated because he knows you need it to keep your eyes focused. Amen? And so the wisdom of God, discretion, it'll deliver you. And so that, that's just my roundabout way of just saying, turn to God's wisdom. <laughs> that's my long definition of God's wisdom right there. And so my next thought is, the wisdom of the world exalts self-reliance and self-will. This is a false sense of confidence and determination to live life in pursuit of what one believes will make him happy rather than what God tells us will bring true joy and peace. You know, we think we know what's going to make us happy, but you don't. Only God knows what's going to give you joy, what's going to give you peace. And that's why many people spend their whole life (laughs) one endeavor after another, And they get discouraged already. They're saying, well, might as well just quit. Uh, Might as well just end it all. (laughs) Well, the thing is, yeah, you should end it all. But you shouldn't end it all. You should just end you. (laughs) End you. End your will. End your wisdom. Get to the end of yourself. 
and start turning to God. Amen? But some people get so discouraged because, well, I can never get anything. I mean, we'll never be happy. <laughs> everything, just, everything just doesn't work for us. A preacher once said, my greatest failure is finding success in something other than the will of God for my life. Many times I deal with young people and I've dealt with them. I used to teach college and career. We had a hundred of them. And I'd have them come to my office and they'd say, oh, this young girl, I, I believe it's God's will for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm just, okay. <laughs> now I don't know God, what he wants for you. Uh, and all I know is that you want this girl, number one. But then they put all of their heart into this young lady and it doesn't take a couple months, all of a sudden she's courting someone else. And they're just so devastated. Or maybe something, a dating situation didn't work out. I thought I was going to marry this girl. And I'm just devastated. What's the use in even trying? You see, that right there, you think that your happiness has been stolen. But what happened there is God just opened the opportunity for you to find true joy. See, and the thing you think is the most disappointing thing is really God's hand keeping you from something that's going to steal all your joy in your life. Yep. And I've told that to young men. I says, hey, don't, I, know, I understand emotion. <laughs> I understand the broken heart thing. But at least keep this in your mind as you work through mending your broken heart, <laughs> you know. What you need to do is remember that if this wasn't God's will for you, this girl then there is one that is for you. And just thank God that you didn't marry the wrong one. Yeah, but it hurts. <laughs> Go with your bowl of ice cream. <laughs> Whatever you got to do to work through it. But all I'm saying is, there's going to come a day where you're going to look back and, they, and you know what you're going to say? Thank God yeah. that he broke that down. You understand that? Because you don't know what brings you happiness. You think you do. And you'll chase all kinds of things to find it, but you're not going to find it. You need God to reveal that to you. And that's why every step of the way, you need his wisdom to, to step you through these things. So many times I'll find young people because they're scared they're going to lose this person or maybe this person won't like them. So what they do is they start compromising. <laughs> They compromise truth, compromise faithfulness, all these different things because, oh, I got to make sure I don't let go. If you've got to hold on to that person to hold on to them, then God's never been in it. Same way I tell people in soul winning. Oh, I better quickly lead them in a prayer. <laughs> well, if you've got to quickly lead them in a prayer because you're scared you're going to lose them, they've never been on the hook of the Holy Spirit of God. They've been on your hook. And you're going to get them to pray a prayer and they're not even going to be saved. It's better that you wait. When I talk to people about the gospel, I'm not sitting there, oh, I've got to force a prayer on them. I'm talking about trusting in your heart, man. And if you don't want to trust in your heart, you're going to hell. That's all there's to it. And I'm not going to force you to do that. It's a privilege for you to receive Christ. He's offering you the greatest gift in the world. Why should I be urgent? but ramming a gift down their throat. 
once they see it as a gift, they'll receive it as a gift. So your whole thing, <laughs> like, like Jesus uh, in John chapter 4, when the, wa- the woman came, a uh, Samaritan woman came to the well, um, he says, if you knew us of the water that I had, you would ask of me and I would give it to you and you'll never thirst again. He didn't say, drink this. <laughs> he said, if you knew what I had and you would take it, you would never thirst again. Yeah. You know what she said? Give me this water. Give me this water. Yeah. <laughs> See, your job isn't to lead them to the water. Your job isn't to make them drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. They got to drink on their own. When I got saved, I didn't need anybody to make me, anybody to make me drink. I didn't need any pressure tactic to force me to pray a prayer. And sad to say, I've seen many soul winners do that. Like they're selling vacuum cleaners or something. It's ungodly and wicked. What we ought to do is say, let me tell you about our God. And they'll say, well, I don't care about him. Well, then they don't care. Pray for him, go back again. But don't try to ram a gift down their throat. Don't cast the pearls before the swine. Make them thirsty. You know one way you can do that? By living the Christian life. By them seeing joy in your life. By them seeing that you are fulfilling God's will for your life. That they see you enjoying your family and your children. That you don't look at, at children as a curse, but a blessing. You, you give them the opposite of what they've been taught in the world. And they'll say, you know what, I need this. Whatever these people have, you know what's happening? They're starting to get parched. They're starting to realize, I need something here. And it won't be long, they'll say, give me to drink. And then you can sit them down and tell them. This is how you can receive Christ. Amen? These pressure tactics, sorry, I'm not for it. We need to tell them about how good God is. The, The greatest thing you can do is get in touch with your testimony. Let that touch your heart in such a way today that you're gonna weep every time you tell it. Then you go tell it to people. You tell it to your family. You know what a testimony is made up of? The way I was before, what happened when I got saved, and the way I was after. Can I give you my testimony? This is where I was. Lost, lonely, in sin. No purpose to my life. But then the gospel came. Amen? And then this is what God did for me. This is how he opened my eyes. This is how he blessed my life. This is the family that he gave me. And I thought, I, you know, folks, <laughs> for me, my lost condition, the devil had me convinced that I would never have children. He was trying to discourage me. See, he's trying to murder me, just like he's trying to murder you. And he does that by putting hopeless thoughts in your mind. Hope deferred, make it the heart sick. 
you know? And so before you're saved, it's always, you're always inundated with hopelessness, you know? And I thought, there's no way I'm going to have a family. And there's no way I can be, and I look at good families, there's no way I can have that. I'm just not good enough for that. But when you tell them what God has done for you and how God has changed that hopelessness to hope, then you show them what God has done. And I, I show them my boys and my daughters and my wife. I say, look at what God's done for me. Oh, I'm so blessed. And I'm not, I don't deserve it. It's just what God gave. He says, you're my son now, and I'm going to give you good things. I'm going to give you good things. Boy, if people start seeing that, they're going to start getting thirsty. Yeah, Amen. The wisdom of this world is not going to help anybody. One with God's wisdom starts by understanding there's no wisdom in ourselves. That we cannot rely on our own understanding apart from God on any matter. How many matters? None. There's not one thing you should do without referring to the wisdom of God about it. Every step you take, every investment you make, every time... Um, Everything you put your time into, every contract you sign, every job you take, every family that you bring into your life, any people that you go visit, it should all be done through the wisdom of God. Well, I just feel that's where you're wrong. <laughs> that I has got to be pulled right out of there. I is the middle letter of pride. You need that out of your life. It can't be about what you feel. It's got to be what I know God wants for me to do. God wants for me to do this. That's why I'm doing this. A couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, I began praying about something, and it was kind of an urgent matter. I said, Lord, you got to help me here. I don't know what to do. You know, and, and there's no real specific principle that tells me these specific things that I need. And he began to lay upon my heart very specific things. He says, this is what you need to do. Yeah. I just, whoa. He says, you talk to this person. You talk to that person. And he began to give me a specific plan for a specific thing that I, wanted to, that I needed to take place. And I was so grateful. <laughs> yeah. yep. See, when you're trying to do what God's wisdom tells you to do in the scripture, you can go to him with things that would, would baffle the mind. But the Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. That means he will guide you. He will tell you. And he'll never violate scripture to do it. <laughs> if he's violating scripture to do it, then it's not him telling you. <laughs> Amen. That's the, the parameters that the wisdom will always fit in. So one with God's wisdom starts by understanding that there's no wisdom in your own eyes. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Stop throwing down a fleece. You don't need fleeces today. That was for Gideon. God never told you to put a fleece on. <laughs> I need a sign. No, you don't. 
That was before you had scripture. That was before you had the admonition that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Why don't you let God answer you by fulfilling what you know God wants you to do and then saying, Lord, this gap where I don't know what else I'm supposed to do, I'm gonna lay it at your feet and I want you to put it on my heart, what we're supposed to do in this situation. And he says he will do it. Amen. Isn't that a blessing? You don't need to wait to see if the fleece is wet in the morning or whether it's dry. That's not how he guides you today. He guides you through his spirit, through your prayer, through your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that fleece is not a personal relationship. That's an inanimate object. You know what? He may just do it for you because bless your heart. <laughs> but you know, wouldn't it be better for you to simply just go to the Lord like he's a person and talk to him? Amen? <laughs> talk to him, get an answer. So we need God's understanding. And I'll be done here. I'm going to give you a couple points underneath this. Those that are slow to wrath have great understanding. That means if you're a person that loses the temper very quickly, you're lacking understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 29, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. <laughs> Amen. So that means what I've learned, the principles of scripture and what I need to do in life, if I'm losing my temper, if I'm blowing up too quickly like that, I'm showing that I haven't really spent time with God. I'm not really submitted to the situations in life because I think that a person that's angry is someone that thinks that everything in life is supposed to go my way. And that's absolutely not true. Everything in life should go God's way. And sometimes he puts a real wrench in your plan. It's like the one time when I filled up with gas in Kenora, had my van, I put gas in it, turned off my van. It was a Chevy Lumina. It was a nice van. I missed that van. Let me just reflect. <laughs> I turned it off, I filled up my tank, and I went back in to turn it on and click, click. It was dead, stone dead. I said, what? What do you do in situations like that? <laughs> Kick. Tire. It's a tire's fault. <laughs> you know, we get, sometimes we can get angry because it's happening. You know what? Now, I, I praise God because the Lord had been speaking to my heart about trusting him in these situations. And so immediately, this is what I said. I says, God, what do you have for me here? What do you want from me? That's the first thing that came to my heart. I said, Lord, you must be, you must have stopped me here for a reason. I didn't know. <laughs> so all I knew know to do was try to find a way to start the van. <laughs> so behind me was a truck and he had a lawnmower tractor on the back. It seemed like he was like in lawn care. I thought this guy's gotta have booster cables. <laughs> 
So I go to him, is that my phone? <laughs> so I go to him and I say, hey, would you happen to have booster cables? Because my van just died. He said, yeah, no problem. Let me go pay for my gas and I'll pull around and boost you. I said, wow, pff, easy. He comes around, puts the cables on there. I'm looking at this guy and I said, well, Lord, maybe this is it. Maybe you just wanted me to give him a gospel tract. And so I did. I got a gospel tract and says, hey, I'd like to give this to you. I'm a pastor. And he's, oh, I know who you are. I says, what? He says, I know who you are. And then he told me his name. This was a man that I had met probably about a year or two before. And he was probably about 60 pounds heavier the first time I met him. So I didn't even recognize him. He had, he'd become so skinny, I didn't even recognize him. Then he began to tell me, he said, yeah, my life's kind of gone in a bad direction here and my wife left me. He's alone. I said, wow. I said, well, I'd sure like to be a help to you. I says, could I come over sometime and talk to you? He says, yeah, I'd like that very much. So he gives me his number and van starts <laughs> smiling at me. <laughs> I drive it home. Never had a problem after that. I don't know. And went and visited him, found out he was lost. I was able to lead him to Christ there at his kitchen table. So he started coming to church. And then we were having revival meetings and he was coming to church and he says, I'd like to invite my nephews. I said, that'd be great. So he got one of his nephews to come. They were 30 years old, 30 and 33. The one came on the Sunday morning and he got saved. And then the other brother came in the evening and he got saved. You remember that, Allie? Allie, where are you? She's not here? She's gone. Okay. It was in Kenora. That's where she's from. And so, so I'm like, wow. Phil, Brian, Kevin. A month later, these boys, these boys started coming to church immediately after that. They get baptized. They start coming to church. And then they bring their mom. And their mom gets saved. And they start coming for a while. And all of a sudden, she's got a brother. And she brings, the brother's family comes and he gets saved and his kids get saved and his wife gets saved. You know what started all that? Click. When most people, oh, it's not going my way. Thank God when things aren't going your way. Because it could just mean that things are going God's way. And if things are going God's way, don't be mad about it. Trust him in it. You have no wisdom. You have no understanding. There's nothing in you that you can rely on. Your own understanding will always make you mad, will always cause you to be angry at everybody around you for taking your time, wasting my time, spending my money, whatever. But when you begin to see that God is real, and that every part of your life is within his power, you'll begin to see that God's going to use you for his preordained works. Because he knows that if he shuts your car down, the first thing you're going to say is, God, what should I do about this? What do you have for me here? That should be the first thing out of your mouth. 
It shouldn't be cursing. It shouldn't be anger. Something happens on the job site. Somebody treats you wrong. There's a purpose for everything. David had the guy cursing at him on the hill. Shimei cursing at him, the King David, because this guy thought, hey, his son's got the throne. David's got no power. I'm going to start cursing him out. One of David's mighty men says, shall I remove his head from his body? (laughs) David said, no. God sent him. God sent him. Because David humbled his heart. See, David knew the way out. In that moment, he could have gone higher. Yes, kill him. And he could have fluttered around the rafters. That's not what David did. David looked for the way out through humility. And I'll tell you something. When you do that, God will always meet you there. He'll always meet you there. If you think your anger is going to help you, you are absolutely wrong. That's why the Bible says a pastor should not be a striker. I can strike my pulpit. That's about it. Because if I can't control my striking, I don't trust God yet. You understand that? Those that are slow to wrath have great understanding. You understand what I'm saying now? There's an understanding that you can have as a child of God that goes beyond what people can perceive. (laughs) They'll look and say, why in the world aren't you losing control here? And you can say, because I have a God that is real. He's real. And he's working in my situation. And there's there's no time where God is never near me. There's no time that God doesn't have a plan for me. There's no time where God's not working out his plan where I can fulfill the preordained works that God has for my life. There there is a family of people that are going to heaven because my car didn't start. I wouldn't change that for the world. I'll give you a thousand minivans. You can have all my new vehicles. Crash them into the street pole. If it means that families get saved. See, those that are slow to wrath have great understanding. And once we start understanding that, you know what? Your anger problem is going to begin to dissipate. You're going to realize, why am I so angry? It's because I want things to go my way, not God's way. But if you start living your life according to God's way, you'll have nothing to be angry about ever again. Do you understand that? That's a powerful truth, isn't it? Only eyes of faith see a loving, faithful creator working behind mundane irritations and provocations that often seem senseless. Only the eyes of faith can see that. (laughs) Well, that was useless. Maybe not. Well, that's a waste of time. Maybe not. Only the eyes of faith can see it. And for without faith, it's impossible to please him. For we have to come to him and we have to believe that he is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And you know what? God has got a plan and he's going to bless your life if you're willing to see through the eyes of faith 
Tonight, you could be driving home and your car could break down. You could be driving home and get into an accident. Oh, God forbid. You get home and your house could be burning. <laughs> you know, God forbid. But what would you do if it was? One of the greatest stories I've ever, one of the greatest testimonies I ever saw is I was pastoring in Manitoba and there was a family we got a call one Sunday morning that the daughter, they were playing hide and seek and they're running around the van and the van got put into drive and it drove over the head of the one of the ch children and killed her. And they called us to come over there. And when we were there, the ambulance was still there and the body was still covered with a blanket and the family's just distraught and, you know, the one that put it into drive was just really hurting and all you could do is hug them and say, hey, you know, it's okay. And, you know, but then the father was off, uh, he was in the army and he was off on duty. So I had to call him. And I called him and I says, I, I didn't know what to say. I, I mean, that's the worst situation I've ever found myself in as a pastor. My words didn't come out. I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't know how to make this easy. I mean, it's just, this is what happened, sir. He just was blank. Couldn't say anything. Didn't show an emotion. He was just shocked. Me and my pastor got into a vehicle the next day. We drove all the way out to where he was stationed and we picked him up from the airport to bring him home to his family. And you know what? That man was a rock. I never saw him curse God. I never saw him say, this is senseless. He trusted him every step of the way. And I looked at this family and I said, you've got to be kidding me. Even to this day, on the anniversary of her death, they'll put up Facebook pictures and they'll say, this is our dear daughter. But never bitterness, never anger, because they knew in their heart that these things are allowed by God for whatever reason, for whatever purpose, and maybe they've figured out something, I don't know, maybe they'll never figure it out. But through the eyes of faith, they handled the battle and they made it through. That's the Christian life. That's how you overcome anger. That's how you overcome the battle that goes on in your heart. You have to trust that God is real and he's working in every situation of your life and there's nothing you're going through that is not allowed by God and it's okay. It's okay. You're his child, he loves you and there's nothing he's not gonna do for you. He's gonna take care of you every step of the way and it seems like you're alone, but you're not. It's gonna work out for good, amen? Boy, I've had some great testimonies shared with me and I've been able to see things and that have just spoke to my heart and have taught me to be a better pastor just from watching church people trust God. You learn from it, amen? And that was one of the things I took away from it. You know, he taught hundreds of people how to face a trial like that. 
even through the funeral and the, the commitment service and the, at the cemetery, this man just, he, they wept, they cried. But never were they angry. Never were they bitter. Oh, that, my friend, is a Christian life. They understood their daughter. All she did is transition from here to there. And they knew they would see her again. What a great hope they had. Amen. And so, anyway.